Chapter One, Part Two of the Bronze Eagle by Baroness Orksey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. The man who now drew rein with abrupt clumsiness in front of the auberge looked hot, tired, and travel-stained. His face was covered with sweat and his horse with lather the lapel of his coat was torn his breeches and boots were covered with half-frozen mud but having brought his horse to a halt he swung himself out of the saddle with the brisk air of a boy who has enjoyed his first ride across country surgeon captain emory was a man well over forty but to-day his eyes glowed with that concentrated fire which burns in the heart at twenty and he shook de marmont by the hand with a vigour which made the younger man wince with the pain of that iron grip my friend mr clifford an english gentleman said victor de marmont hastily in response to a quick look of suspicious enquiry which flashed out from under emory's bushy eyebrows you can talk quite freely emory and for god's sake tell us your news but emory could hardly speak he had been riding hard for the past three hours his throat was parched and through it his voice came up hoarse and raucous nevertheless he at once began talking in short jerky sentences he landed on wednesday he said i parted from him on friday at castellan you had my message this morning early we came at once i thought we could talk better here first but i was spent last night i had to sleep at cors so i sent to you but now in heaven's name give me something to drink while he drank eagerly and greedily of the cold spiced wine which clifford had served out to him he still scrutinized the englishman closely from under his frowning and bushy eyebrows clifford's winning glance however seemed to have conquered his mistrust for presently after he had put his mug down again he stretched out a cordial hand to him now that our emperor is back with us he said as if in apology for his former suspicions we his friends are bound to look askance at every englishman we meet of course you are said clifford with his habitual good-humoured smile as he grasped surgeon captain emory's extended hand it is the hand of a friend i am grasping insisted emory of a personal friend if you will call him so replied clifford politically i hardly count you see i am just a looker-on at the game the surgeon captain's keen eyes under their bushy brows shot a rapid glance at the tall well-knit figure of the englishman you are not a fighting man he queried much amazed no replied clifford dryly i am only a tradesman your news emory your news here broke in victor de marmont who during the brief colloquy between his two friends had been hardly able to keep his excitement in check emory turned away from the other man in silence clearly there was something about that fine 
noble-looking fellow who proclaimed himself a tradesman while that splendid physique of his should be at his country's service which still puzzled the worthy army surgeon but he was primarily very thirsty and secondly as eager to impart his news as de marmont was to hear it so now without wasting any further words on less important matter he sat down close to the table and stretched his short thick legs out before him my news is of the best he said with lusty fervour we left porto ferrajo on sunday last but only landed on wednesday as i told you for we were severely becalmed in the mediterranean we came on shore at antibes at midday of march first and bivouacked in an olive grove on the way to cannes that was a sight good for sore eyes my friends to see him sitting there by the camp-fire his feet firmly planted upon the soil of france what a man sir what a man he continued turning directly to clifford on board the inconstant he had composed and dictated his proclamation to the army to the soldiers of france the finest piece of prose sir i have ever read in all my life but you shall judge of it sir you shall judge and with hands shaking with excitement he fumbled in the bulging pocket of his coat and extracted therefrom a roll of loose papers roughly tied together with a piece of tape you shall read it sir he went on mumbling while his trembling fingers vainly tried to undo the knot in the tape you shall read it and then mayhap you'll tell me if your pit was ever half so eloquent curse these knots he exclaimed angrily will you allow me sir said clifford quietly and with steady hand and firm fingers he undid the refractory knots and spread the papers out upon the table already de marmont had given a cry of loyalty and of triumph his proclamation he exclaimed and a sigh of infinite satisfaction born of enthusiasm and of hero-worship escaped his quivering lips the papers bore the signature of that name which had once been all-powerful in its magical charm at sound of which europe had trembled and crowns had felt insecure the name which men had breathed nay still breathed either with passionate loyalty or with bitter hatred napoleon there were copies of the proclamation wherewith the heroic adventurer confident in the power of his diction meant to reconquer the hearts of that army whom he had once led to such glorious victories de marmont read the long document through from end to end in a half audible voice now and again he gave a little cry a cry of loyalty at mention of those victories of austerlitz and jena of wagram and of ekmuel at mention of those imperial eagles which had led the armies of france conquering and glorious throughout the length and breadth of europe or a cry of shame and horror at mention of the traitor 
whose name he bore and who had delivered france into the hands of strangers and his emperor into those of his enemies and when the young enthusiast had read the proclamation through to the end he raised the paper to his lips and fervently kissed the imprint of the revered name napoleon now tell me more about him he said finally as he leaned both elbows on the table and fastened his glowing eyes upon the equally heated face of surgeon captain emery well resumed the latter as i told you we bivouacked among the olive-trees on the way to cannes the emperor had already sent cambrone on ahead with forty of his grenadiers to commandeer what horses and mules he could as we were not able to bring many across from porto ferrajo cambron he said you shall be in command of the vanguard in this the finest campaign which i have ever undertaken my orders are to you that you do not fire a single unnecessary shot remember that i mean to reconquer my imperial crown without shedding one drop of french blood oh he is in excellent health and in excellent spirits such a man such fire in his eyes such determination in his actions younger bolder than ever i tell you friends continued the worthy surgeon captain as he brought the palm of his hand flat down upon the table with an emphatic bang that it is going to be a triumphal march from end to end of france the people are mad about him at rocavignon just outside cannes where we bivouacked on thursday men women and children were flocking round to see him pressing close to his knees bringing him wine and flowers and the people were crying viva l'empereur even in the streets of grasse but the army man the army cried de marmont the garrisons of antibes and cannes and grasse did the men go over to him at once and the officers we hadn't encountered the army yet when i parted from him on friday retorted emery with equal impatience we didn't go into antibes and we avoided cannes you must give him time the people in the towns wouldn't at first believe that he had come back general massena who is in command at marseilles thought fit to spread the news that a band of corsican pirates had landed on the littoral and were marching inland devastating villages as they marched the peasants from the mountains were the first to believe that the emperor had really come and they wandered down in their hundreds to see him first and to spread the news of his arrival ahead of him by the time we reached castellan the mayor was not only ready to receive him but also to furnish him with five thousand rations of meat and bread with horses and with mules since then he has been at Degu and at sisteron be sure that the garrisons of those cities have rallied round his eagles by now then whilst emery paused for breath de marmont queried eagerly and so there has been no contretemps 
nothing serious so far replied the other we had to abandon our guns at grasse the emperor felt that they would impede the rapidity of his progress and our second day's march was rather trying the mountain passes were covered in snow the lancers had to lead their horses sometimes along the edge of sheer precipices they were hampered too by their accoutrements their long swords and their lances others who had no mounts had to carry their heavy saddles and bridles on those slippery paths but he was walking too stick in hand losing his footing now and then just as they did and once he nearly rolled down one of those cursed precipices but always smiling always cheerful always full of hope at antibes young casabianca got himself arrested with twenty grenadiers they had gone into the town to requisition a few provisions when the news reached us some of the younger men tried to persuade the emperor to march on the city and carry the place by force of arms before casabianca's misfortune got bruited abroad no he said every minute is precious all we can do is to get along faster than the evil news can travel if half my small army were captive at antibes i would still move on if every man were a prisoner in the citadel i would march on alone that's the man my friends cried emery with ever-growing enthusiasm that's our emperor and he cast a defiant look on clifford as much as to say bring on your wellington and your armies now the emperor has come back the whole of france will know how to guard him then he turned to de marmont and now tell me about grenoble he said grenoble had an inkling of the news already last night said de marmont whose enthusiasm was no whit cooler than that of emery marchand has been secretly assembling his troops he has sent to chambery for the seventh and eleventh regiment of the line and to vienne for the fourth hussars inside grenoble he has the fifth infantry regiment the fourth of artillery and third of engineers with a train squadron this morning he is holding a council of war and i know that he has been in constant communication with massena the news is gradually filtering through into the town people stand at the street corners and whisper among themselves the word la empereur seemed wafted upon this morning's breeze and by to-night we'll have the emperor's proclamation to his people pinned up on the walls of the hotel de ville exclaimed emery and with hands still trembling with excitement he gathered the precious papers once more together and slipped them back into his coat pocket then he made a visible effort to speak more quietly and now he said for one very important matter which by the way was the chief reason for my asking you my good de marmont to meet me here before my getting to grenoble yes what is it queried de marmont eagerly surgeon captain emery leaned across the table 
instinctively he dropped his voice and though his excitement had not abated one jot though his eyes still glowed and his hands still fidgeted nervously he had forced himself at last to a semblance of calm the matter is one of money he said slowly the emperor has some funds at his disposal but as you know that scurvy government of the restoration never handed him over one single sou of the yearly revenue which it had solemnly agreed and sworn to pay to him with regularity now of course he continued still more emphatically we who believe in our emperor as we believe in god we are absolutely convinced that the army will rally round him to a man the army loves him and has never ceased to love him the army will follow him to victory and to death but the most loyal army in the world cannot subsist without money and the emperor has little or none the news of his triumphant march across france will reach paris long before he does it will enable his most excellent and most corpulent majesty king louis to skip over to england or to ghent with everything in the treasury on which he can lay his august hands now de marmont do you perceive what the serious matter is which caused me to meet you here twenty-five kilometres from grenoble where i ought to be at the present moment yes i do perceive very grave trouble there said de marmont with characteristic insouciance but one which need not greatly worry the emperor i am rich thank god and-and may god bless you my dear de marmont for the thought broke in emery earnestly but what may be called a large private fortune is as nothing before the needs of an army soon of course the emperor will be in peaceful possession of his throne and will have all the resources of france at his command but before that happy time arrives there will be much fighting and many days weeks perhaps of anxiety to go through during those weeks the army must be paid and fed and your private fortune my dear de marmont would even if the emperor were to accept your sacrifice which is not likely be but as a drop in the mighty ocean of the cost of a campaign what are two or even three millions my poor dear friend it is forty fifty millions that the emperor wants de marmont this time had nothing to say he was staring moodily and silently before him now that is what i have come to talk to you about continued emery after a few seconds pause during which he had once more thrown a quick half-suspicious glance on the impassive though obviously interested face of the englishman always supposing that monsieur here is on our side neither on your side nor on the other captain said bobby clifford with a slight tone of impatience i am a mere tradesman 
as i have had the honour to tell you a spectator at this game of political conflicts monsieur de marmont knows this well else he had not asked me to accompany him to-day nor offered me a mount to enable me to do so but if you prefer it he added lightly i can go for a stroll while you discuss these graver matters he would have risen from the table only that emory immediately detained him no offence sir said the surgeon captain bluntly none i give you my word assented the englishman it is only natural that you should wish to discuss such grave matters in private let me go and see to our dejeuner in the meanwhile i feel sure that the fricandeau is done to a turn by now i'll have it dished up in ten minutes i pray you take no heed of me he added in response to murmured protestations from both de marmont and emory i would much prefer to know nothing of these grave matters which you are about to discuss this time emory did not detain him as he rose and turned to go within in order to find mine host or annette the two englishmen took no further heed of him wrapped up in the all-engrossing subject-matter they remained seated at the table leaning across it their faces close to one another their eyes dancing with excitement questions and answers as soon as the stranger's back was turned already tumbling out in confusion from their lips clifford turned to have a last look at them before he went into the house and while he did so his habitual pleasant gently ironical smile still hovered round his lips but anon a quickly suppressed sigh chased the smile away and over his face there crept a strange shadow a look of longing and of bitter regret it was only for a moment however the next he had passed his hand slowly across his forehead as if to wipe away that shadow and smooth out those lines of unspoken pain soon his cheerful voice was heard echoing along the low rafters of the little inn loudly calling for annette and for news of the baked omelette and the fricandeau you really could have talked quite freely before mr clifford my good emory said de marmont as soon as bobby had disappeared inside the inn he really takes no part in politics he is a friend alike of the comte de cambray and of glove-maker dumoulin he has visited our bonapartist club dumoulin has vouched for him you see he is not a fighting man i suppose that you are equally sure that he is not an english spy remarked emory dryly of course i am sure asserted de marmont emphatically dumoulin has known him for years in business though this is the first time that clifford has visited grenoble he is in the glove trade in england his interests are purely commercial he came here with introductions to the comte de cambray from a mutual friend in england who seems to be a personage of vast importance in his own country and greatly esteemed by the comte else you may be sure that that stiff-necked aristocrat 
would never have received a tradesman as a guest in his house but it was in dumoulin's house that i first met bobby clifford we took a liking to one another and since then have ridden a great deal together he is a splendid horseman and i was very glad to be able to offer him a mount at different times but our political conversations have never been very heated or very serious clifford maintains a detached impersonal attitude both to the bonapartist and the royalist cause i asked him to accompany me this morning and he gladly consented for he dearly loves a horse i assure you you might have said anything before him eh bien i'm sorry if i've been obstinate and ungracious said the surgeon captain but in a tone that obviously belied his words though frankly i am very glad that we are alone for the moment he paused and with a wave of his thick short-fingered hand he dismissed this less important subject matter and once more spoke with his wonted eagerness on that which lay nearest his heart now listen my good de marmont he said do you recollect last april when the empress poor wretched misguided woman fled so precipitately from paris abandoning the capital france and her crown at one and the same time and taking away with her all the crown diamonds and money and treasure belonging to the emperor she was terribly ill-advised of course but yes i remember all that perfectly well broke in de marmont impatiently well then you know that that abominable talleyrand sent one of his emissaries after the empress and her suite that this emissary dudun was his name reached orleans just before marie louise herself got there and that he ordered in talleyrand's name the seizure of the empress's convoy as soon as it arrived in the city broke in de marmont again yes i recollect that abominable outrage perfectly dudun backed by the officers of the gendarmerie managed to rob the empress of everything she had even to the last knife and fork even to the last pocket-handkerchief belonging to the emperor and marked with his initials oh it was monstrous hellish devilish it makes my blood boil whenever i think of it whenever i think of those fatuous treacherous bourbons gloating over those treasures at the tuileries while our empress went her way as effectually despoiled as if she had been waylaid by so many brigands on a public highway just so resumed emery quietly after de marmont's violent storm of wrath had subsided but i don't know if you also recollect that when the various cases containing the emperor's belongings were opened at the tuileries there was just as much disappointment as gloating some of those fatuous bourbons as you so rightly call them expected to find some forty or fifty millions of the emperor's personal savings there bank-notes and drafts on the banks of france of england and of amsterdam which they were looking forward to distributing among themselves 
and their friends your friend the comte de cambray would no doubt have come in too for his share in this distribution but monsieur de talleyrand is a very wise man always far-seeing he knows the improvidence the prodigality the ostentation of these new masters whom he is so ready to serve ere dudon reached paris with his booty monsieur de talleyrand had very carefully eliminated therefrom some five-and-twenty million francs in banknotes and bankers drafts which he felt would come in very usefully once for a rainy day but monsieur de talleyrand is immensely rich himself protested de marmont ah he did not eliminate those five-and-twenty millions for his own benefit said emory i would not so boldly accuse him of theft the money has been carefully put away by monsieur de talleyrand for the use of his corpulent majesty louis de bourbon eighteenth of that name then as emory here made a dramatic pause and looked triumphantly across at his companion de marmont rejoined somewhat bewildered but i don't understand why i am telling you this retorted emory still with that triumphant air you shall understand in a moment my friend when i tell you that those five-and-twenty millions were never taken north to paris they were conveyed in strict secrecy south to grenoble to grenoble exclaimed de marmont to grenoble reasserted emory but why why such a long way why grenoble queried the young man in obvious puzzlement for several reasons replied emory firstly both the prefect of the department and the military commandant are hot royalists whilst the province of dauphine is not in case of any army corps being sent down there to quell possible and probable revolt the money would have been there to hand also if you remember there was talk at the time of the king of naples proving troublesome there too in case of a campaign on the frontier the money lying ready to hand at grenoble could prove very useful but of course i cannot possibly pretend to give you all the reasons which actuated monsieur de talleyrand when he caused five-and-twenty millions of stolen money to be conveyed secretly to grenoble rather than to paris his ways are more tortuous than any mere army surgeon can possibly hope to gauge enough that he did it and that at this very moment there are five-and-twenty millions which are the rightful property of the emperor locked up in the cellars of the hotel de ville at grenoble but murmured de marmont who still seemed very bewildered at all that he had heard are you sure quite sure affirmed emory emphatically de moulin brought news of it to the emperor at elba several months ago and you know that he and his bonapartist club always have plenty of spies in and around the prefecture 
the money is there he reiterated with still greater emphasis now the question is how are we going to get hold of it easily rejoined de marmont with his habitual enthusiasm when the emperor marches into grenoble and the whole of the garrison rallies around him he can go straight to the hotel de ville and take everything that he wants always supposing that monsieur le prefet does not anticipate the emperor's coming by conveying the money to paris or elsewhere before we can get hold of it quoth emery dryly oh fourier is not sufficiently astute for that perhaps not but we must not neglect possibilities that money would be a perfect godsend to the emperor it was originally his too pardieu anyhow my good de marmont that is what i wanted to talk over quietly with you before i get into grenoble can you think of any means of getting hold of that money in case fourier has the notion of conveying it to some other place of safety i would like to think that over emery said de marmont thoughtfully as you say we of the bonapartist club at grenoble have spies inside the hotel de ville we must try and find out what fourier means to do as soon as he realizes that the emperor is marching on grenoble and then we must act accordingly and trust to luck and good fortune and to the emperor's star rejoined emery earnestly it is once more in the ascendant but the matter of the money is a serious one de marmont you will deal with it seriously seriously ejaculated de marmont once more the unquenchable fire of undying devotion to his hero glowed in the young man's eyes everything pertaining to the emperor he said fervently is serious to me for a whim of his i would lay down my life i will think of all you have told me emery and here beneath the blue dome of god's sky i swear that i will get the emperor the money that he wants or lose mine honour and my life in the attempt amen to that rejoined emery with a deep sigh of satisfaction you are a brave man de marmont would to heaven every frenchman was like you and now he added with sudden transition to a lighter mood let annette dish up the fricandeau here's our friend the tradesman who was born to be a soldier monsieur clifford he added loudly calling to the englishman who had just appeared in the doorway of the inn my grateful thanks to you not only for your courtesy but for expediting that delicious dejeuner which tickles my appetite so pleasantly i pray you sit down without delay i shall have to make an early start after the meal as i must be inside grenoble before dark clifford good-humoured genial quiet as usual quickly responded to the surgeon captain's desire he took his seat once more at the table and spoke of the weather and the sunshine the alps and the snows the while annette spread a cloth and laid plates and knives and forks before the distinguished gentleman 
we all want to make an early start eh my dear clifford ejaculated de marmont gaily we have serious business to transact this night with monsieur le comte de cambray and partake too of his gracious hospitality what emery laughed not i forsooth he said monsieur le comte would as soon have satan or beelzebub inside his doors and i marvel my good de marmont that you have succeeded in keeping on such friendly terms with that royalist ogre i said de marmont whose inward exultation radiated from his entire personality i my dear emery did you not know that i am that royalist ogre's future son-in-law pardieu but this is a glorious day for me as well as a glorious day for france emery dear friend wish me joy and happiness on tuesday i wed mademoiselle crystal de cambray to-night we sign our marriage contract wish me joy i say she's a bride well worth the winning napoleon sets forth to conquer a throne i to conquer love and you old sober face do not look so glum he added turning to clifford and his ringing laugh seemed to echo from end to end of the narrow valley after which a lighter atmosphere hung round the table outside the auberge du grand dauphin there was but little talk of the political situation still less of party hatred and caste prejudices the hero's name was still on the lips of the two men who worshipped him and clifford faithful to his attitude of detachment from political conflicts listened quite unmoved to the impassioned dethriams of his friends but so absorbed were these two in their conversation and their joy that they failed to notice that clifford hardly touched the excellent dejeuner set before him and left mine host's fine burgundy almost untasted End of chapter 1, part 2